Good morning. And good morning to those of you who are tuning in online, wherever you may be watching us today. Welcome to Mount Airy Baptist Church. That is a big question that we've been looking at for the last several Sundays. Then what? We're all destined to take our final breath one day. We don't know when that will be, but when that day comes and you take your final breath, then what? So we've been looking at that question from several different uh, ways, or trying to answer that question several different ways. And today I want to begin with John 3.16, a verse that you probably know, a verse that you've likely memorized, the most popular verse in the Bible, but I want to call our attention to it again because I want to dig into John 3.16 kind of as an introduction to our main text. So open God's Word, John 3.16, even though you probably can quote it, would you at least open your Bible or turn it on and find it because there's a few things I want to point out to you from this passage to introduce our main text and topic. John 3.16, very popular, familiar words. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. This verse has been called everybody's text. And what people mean by that is, It's a text that applies to everybody. It's an invitation for everybody. When you start looking at the verse, it's easy to see why this is everybody's text. Let me show you a few important points from this verse. First of all, I want you to notice that God takes the initiative in everyone's salvation. Please understand this. This is so important to what I'm going to be sharing with you in a few moments. But please note that it's God who takes the initiative in our salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God was acting not for His own sake, but for your sake. Let that sink in for a moment. God taking the initiative, acting not for His own sake, but for your sake. Number two, I want you to understand that God is not angry at you, but God loves you. It says it right there in the verse, for God so loved the world. You could put your name there. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And then number three, God's love is so wide that it involves the whole world or it involves everyone. For God so loved the world, watch this, read it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, look at that word whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Augustine said God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. God concentrates His love on you. This verse, everybody's text, has been called the essence of the gospel. It's been called the gospel in miniature. It is the good news for everybody. Now, have you ever noticed though that in this same verse, there is one dark word that penetrates that verse. One dark word that stands out. Let's read it. Together again, just follow along. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not... What's that next word? Perish. It's a very dark word. Especially when you start digging into the meaning of the word. The Greek word literally means to destroy. It signifies violence and strife. That violence and strife is often associated with with the use of this word. This is not a positive word. This is a very uh, dark and disturbing word. Perish. In this context, 
The word perish means to be in a lost state in the world to come. So when you, when you look at the word perish in John 3.16, it's talking about being lost. It's talking about then what? It's talking about being in that lost state when you take your last breath. It includes five things. This word perish, it includes five things. It includes having to die, facing judgment, being condemned, suffering separation from God, and experiencing all that hell is. That's the word perish. This one word points out the somber, sober reality that we all face the potential of eternity in hell. We all do. That word perish is a one-word caution sign. A one-word caution sign between you and the pathway that leads to everlasting destruction. Several years ago, I preached a sermon called Roadblocks on the Road to Hell. We actually had a, a, a man saved in that service who, who uh, has served the Lord faithfully since then. But that, that, that word or that message, Roadblocks on the Road to Hell, had the idea that God places people along the path, the path of your life. Maybe it's a Christian parent, and that's a roadblock on the road to hell that you're traveling. Or maybe God places a Christian co-worker, and he's trying to talk to you about faith and Jesus. That's a roadblock on the road to hell, the path that you're traveling. Or maybe it's the prayers of a grandmother that echo in your mind and in your heart, and that's a roadblock on the road to hell. Or maybe it's a sermon that you hear Billy Graham or someone else preach, and that's God's roadblock. Or maybe it's something you read in the Bible or something you've read in a book, and God speaks to you, and God throws up another roadblock on the road to hell. Because you see, Scripture is very clear that God doesn't want that for you or for me. And so look at John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. God doesn't want that for you. But he wants you to have eternal life. Now I understand in a, in a situation like this today. That lots of people don't like to talk about hell. And it's very easy to understand why you probably. Once you got here today and realized. Oh he's going to preach on hell. I shouldn't have come today. I understand that. I really do. And because hell is a gruesome topic. The writers of Scripture speak of hell as the blackest of darkness in Jude 13. Or in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it speaks of hell as everlasting destruction. Or in Matthew 8.12, it speaks of hell as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or Mark 9.43 speaks of hell as an unquenchable eternal fire. And Matthew 25.30 calls hell a place of outer darkness. So I understand that you don't want to talk about hell and I don't want to talk about hell and this is kind of a disturbing topic. But I also understand something else. I understand that according to Scripture, hell is a reality that we all have to face. It's interesting when you look at the studies that people do. Uh, it's interesting that when it comes to the topic of heaven... Most people in America believe that there is a heaven, and most of the people who believe in heaven believe that they're going there. In a recent study, though, about hell, only 58% of, of Americans believe in hell, only 58%, and of those 58%, only 2% believe that they're going there. Here's the hard truth. Jesus made it very clear, though, and I wish I didn't have to say this. Jesus made it very clear 
that most people are going to hell, not to heaven. We looked at the scripture a couple of weeks ago. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14? He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So, Pastor, I've always felt like hell is that place where there is this angry God and he doesn't like me. And he sends this angry God, almost delights in sending people to this fiery furnace. That there is this angry God who just takes pleasure in sending people to this eternal flame. But the truth is, God's not an angry God. And the truth is, God has provided a way for you to be saved. Go back to John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's go to the next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Stop right there. God did not send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the purpose of condemnation. He did not send the Lord Jesus Christ for the purpose of condemning anybody to hell. This is not an angry God who who enjoys sending people to the eternal fires of hell. Look what it says. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That that's God's desire, that's God's intention. In a very real sense, we do not have a God that condemns us, but in a very real sense, we end up condemning ourselves. In fact, it says it in the next verse, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You stand condemned when you decide not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, that's just the introduction. Today I want to give you three simple truths about the place called hell. Three simple truths about the place called hell. Number one. This is an obvious one, but we have to start here. Hell is a real place. Just as surely as heaven is a real place, hell is a real place. But how do we know that? How do we know that hell is a real place? It may surprise you to find out that much of what we know about hell came from the mouth of Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. Kind of surprising when you realize that. That the one person in the Bible who spoke more about hell than any other person was the Lord Jesus himself. In fact, there are 1,870 verses in the New Testament that record the words of Jesus. And out of those 1,870 verses that record the words of Jesus, 13% of those verses talk about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And Jesus used this word. There's three different words in the Greek language to talk about hell. Three different ways to try to picture it. And one of the words, the strongest word probably in the Greek language is the word Gehenna. I can give you the background on that word, but it's a very strong word to describe the awful reality of hell. The word Gehenna is is used 12 times in the Gospels. And of those 12 times that it appears in the Gospels, 11 of those times that word came from the lips of Jesus. My point is simply this, Jesus believed in the reality of hell, and he spoke about it often. 
In fact, Jesus said things like, Don't fear those who kill the body, Jesus said. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. See, hell, just like heaven, is an actual place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a a metaphysical dimension of floating spirits. It is a literal, actual place of eternal torment. Hell is real. That's why Jesus didn't avoid the subject. Nor should we. In fact, if you read your Bibles, look up here for a moment. If you read your Bibles, just look at this for a moment. If you read your Bible, you will see that when Jesus spoke about hell, it was often very blunt. Very blunt. In fact, just go over with me. Find the the book of Luke over to the left. Go to Luke chapter 16. One of the most well-known parables regarding hell is found in this chapter, Luke chapter 16. It's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And this was not the Lazarus that was raised from the grave, but this is a different Lazarus. But it's the story that Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man. Many people consider this a parable, uh, but the one unusual thing is that he actually mentions Lazarus by name, which he normally did not do in a parable. But whether it was a parable or not, it describes the very real punishment of those who reject Christ. Chapter 16, I want you to notice how blunt, how direct Jesus was as he spoke about the reality of hell. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. There was, there's no mention of the rich man when he dies. There's no mention of angels carrying him anywhere. Jesus said he died And he was buried. Then what? In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. We'll come back to the story in a moment. Let's pause there because this is a compelling story of two men. While they are alive, while they were both living, their status could hardly be more different. One lived in luxury, one lived in poverty. One experienced all the good things of life, and one experienced all the awful things that you could imagine in life. But when they died, their destinies were also in a a stark contrast. One found himself in heaven... And the other found himself in hell. And Jesus tells this story to address the awful reality of hell. Now, many people think that hell is just a myth. Uh, They say things like, well, that's just a story that preachers use to scare people. Or that's just an imaginary place that the gullible believe in. Or... They, they just can't imagine a, a place of eternal torment, something as awful as hell. 
And so they push back against this. And maybe you're pushing back right now. Those watching online or those here in the service, maybe you're kind of pushing back inside. It's like, I don't believe in eternal torment. I I don't believe a loving God could do this. I, I just don't believe what you're saying. And I get that. Billy Graham, in his early days, was traveling the world even as a young evangelist. And back in the early days, he often went to universities to speak. And he was at a university in Australia. And at that university one night, he spoke and he preached on the reality of hell. He went back to his dorm room to rest after the service. And right before midnight, there was this loud knock on his door. He opened the door to face an angry student. And that that angry student, red-faced, said, What do you mean coming over here from America and talking about hell? I don't believe in hell, and you have no right to come over here and tell us about it. Billy Graham responded, Could I ask you a question? He said, let's suppose that you're going to the airport to catch a plane to Sydney. And right before you were to board that plane, let's just suppose that they announced that there's a 10% chance that that plane is going to crash. Would you get on the plane? And the young man kind of angrily said, of course not. I wouldn't risk that. Then Billy Graham said, well, Let's suppose there's only a 10% chance that Jesus was right and that hell does exist. Do you think it's worth taking the risk and ignoring those odds? The student said, no, I, I guess not. So Billy Graham gave him an opportunity right there to put his faith in Christ. Ask him right there in the doorway if he'd like to put his faith in Christ. And that student rejected the invitation and said, no, I can't. But listen to what he said. I'm going to read it. He said, no. I can't because I find that's not my problem. My real problem is I don't want to live up to the standard that Jesus demands. And I think that is true for a lot of people. Your real problem is not hell. Your real problem is trying to surrender to Christ. An unwillingness to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But let me just say that hell is a real place and you can ignore it now, but when you take your last breath then what? Hell is a real place, according to Jesus. Number two, the second thing I want to show you from this text is this. Hell is a place of conscious torment. Our attention now as we go back to Luke 16 focuses on this rich man who's pleading for relief from the agony he's going through. Read verses 23 through 26 with me. Follow along. In hell... Where he was in torment. Notice that word. He was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. There's that word again. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, and let him warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. 
There's three different kinds of agony in that story. First, there is the spiritual agony of being eternally separated from God. It's referred to in verses 23 and 26, this spiritual agony. There's a, a chasm between us and between that person and, and, and God. There's, there's this broad chasm that cannot be crossed. And there is spiritual agony there of eternally, eternally separated from God. Then there is the physical agony in verse 24, doomed to an eternity in what Revelation 20.10 calls a lake of fire and brimstone where you will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I didn't say that. Revelation says that. That it is a lake of fire where you will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now please, let me, make, let me pause here to make a point. I want you to understand something about hell, the ultimate place of judgment. Hell is not a place where Satan will torment you. Hear this. Hell is not a place where Satan will torment you. It's not a place where the devil will torment you. It is where those who reject God will suffer the same fate as the devil and his demons. In other words, we may get into this next week, hell was never created for us. Hell originally was created for the devil and his demons. And when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, when he is cast into the lake of fire, he will be punished. He will not be in charge of hell. He will be punished in the eternal flames of hell. And those that reject Christ will join him in that punishment. It is a place of spiritual and physical agony. But then also I want you to notice hell is also a place of emotional agony. There's a word in verse 25 that should catch your attention. Verse 25 says, But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime... You received many good things. And while Lazarus didn't, I just want you to take note of that word remember. It appears that death does not destroy our memories. It appears that those in hell will have all eternity to remember those times when they could have trusted Christ. It appears that they'll have opportunity to remember those times when they refused or delayed or neglected to accept Jesus. And I understand that hell may seem like a myth to you now, but the testimony of this dead man is that hell is real. And one day, there will be that spiritual agony and that physical agony and the emotional agony of remembering maybe this service, this opportunity. I really believe that hell will make believers out of the strongest atheist. I really believe that. They won't be there five minutes before they, they realize the reality of God. But the tragedy is, it will be too late then, right? Remember what it said in this, in this passage? There's this great chasm, and you can't cross over from hell into heaven. There are no exits in hell. And it's not like you pay a price for a little while, and then you get promoted to heaven. That is not in Scripture. There is a great chasm between heaven and hell, and there is no crossing over. There is no, I'm paying my price, and one day I'll get out. That is not in Scripture. But let's end on a positive note. Here's point number three. Hell is a place you can't avoid. Can somebody else say amen there? Hell is a place you can avoid. You see, let me be as clear as I could be. It is not God's will and it is not God's desire that anybody 
go to hell. How do, I, how do I know that? Let's go back to John 3.16. Remember that passage? Let's go back to it. I want to show you something else in John 3.16. John 3.16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God's purpose was not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I want you to think about the cross for a moment. Think about the cross. Nothing short of the reality of hell can explain the cross of Jesus Christ. Why in the world was the cross of Jesus Christ necessary? The message of the Bible is that the cross of Jesus Christ was necessary in order to spare you the agony of hell. He did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. To save them from what? From the reality of hell. And to save us from our own sins. Someone said it this way. God makes the offer, but you make the choice. I like that phrase. God makes the offer. He offers you eternal life. God makes the offer, but you make the choice. God allows every person to choose to live life with Him. Or to choose life without Him. And when you take your last breath, the choice you made on earth, living life with God, will allow you to go to heaven. Or living life without God will send you to the place called hell. Because if you're living life with God, then you just, when you take your last breath, then what? Go live with God for all eternity. But if you live your life without God, then what? You go live in hell without God for all eternity. And the sad thing is the choice that you make is final and forever. Jesus spoke of hell as forever. Listen to these two verses. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus talked about eternal fire. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus talked about eternal punishment. According to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, Hell is forever. And I'm convinced hell will be worse than we could ever imagine. But my friend, God has done everything that He can to keep you from going there. God has done everything that He can to keep you from going there. I want you to go over to uh, 2 Peter real quickly. I want to show you a scripture there. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 is talking about the the second coming of Jesus. That's the context. It says, but do not forget this one thing, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. That is His promise to return. As some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to... What's that next word? There's that dark word again, right? The same word, the same exact word that we saw in John 3.16. We see here. Another reminder in talking about the second coming of Jesus in this text. Another reminder that it is not God's will that anyone perish. It is not God's will that anyone experience the awful reality of hell. In fact, it's just the opposite. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We don't have time to go back, but if you go back and look at Luke 16, do you know what the last word is that that rich man said in hell? Repent. Last word, last recorded word. Repent. He said, at least send somebody to my home. If I can't leave, if, I, if my status can't be changed, at least send somebody. Send Lazarus to my house so that he can speak to my brothers so that they will repent. He understood the reality of hell. And he wanted to make sure that his brothers repented. Ultimately, we all have to decide. Ultimately, we all have the same decision. Max Licato said it this way. He said, thanks to Christ, this earth can be the nearest you come to hell. Or, apart from Christ, this earth is the nearest you'll come to heaven. And so I want to close with something Jesus said. John chapter 5. This will be our last text. John chapter 5. Powerful words of Jesus John chapter 5, verse 24. He begins by saying, I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus always told the truth. It's not a matter of him sometimes not telling the truth. The reason he uses this phrase, I tell you the truth, is because it was just a way to emphasize what I'm about to tell you is so vitally important and so absolutely true. And so he says in verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. The same word that was used in John 3, 17 and 18. He has eternal life and will not be condemned. And he has crossed over from death to life. I love that phrase. He's crossed over from death to life. That's God's desire for you. That's what God wants for you. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you. To give you the opportunity to cross over from death to life. But it's your choice. You can experience eternal death in hell. Or you can experience eternal life in heaven. And it all centers on what you do with this invitation from Jesus. I'll tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. See, you can avoid hell. And you can go to heaven. And Jesus makes it all possible. Would you pray with me? As you're thinking about your own life, one day your heart will stop beating. Your brain waves will flatline. Then what? Then what? If you're not sure or if you're fearful because you know that you're not ready for that day, today I'm going to ask you to trust Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to come down front and, and let me pray with you. And you can 
pray your own prayer. You can come to this altar. You don't need me if, you, if you'd rather just come to this altar and pray and trust Christ. It's just declaring your faith in Christ that He died on the cross and He died in your place. He died for your sins to offer you the opportunity to cross over from death to life. Those watching online, you have that same opportunity wherever you are, right there in your living room, right there where on your back porch. You have the opportunity right here, right now, to cross over from death to life. Hell is an awful reality, but it is not God's will that you go there. And the cross. The cross is the greatest evidence of all of how far God will go to make it possible for you to come to be with Him in heaven. And the cross is evidence of how awful hell is. That Jesus would come to rescue you from that awful reality. So Father, I want to pray for anyone here, anyone watching online, and they don't yet know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they'll decide to declare, I believe. I believe Jesus lived. I believe He died for my sins. I believe God raised Him from the dead. And I believe He'll come live in me. I believe. I pray somebody would declare that today, that they would declare their faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you for telling us ahead of time about the awful reality of hell and the wonderful, awesome grace that you provide through Jesus Christ. The freedom of sin, the forgiveness of sin, and the opportunity to cross over from death to life. We praise you for that in Jesus' name.